Okay, let's hear it. Defenders of the universe, it's Darren Maskell and a guest. Defenders of the universe, who knows what they're going to defend next. It's like 12 seconds. You know, the dude always worked with Apex Twin. And his mum and dad used to encourage him to write and draw pictures of uh, cutting people's heads off. And then he turned into an incredible director. So I'm all for that. <laughs> so it's human centipede, actually. Oh, def- um, uh, I'm going to start recording now. So do uh, it. Yeah. Um, no, I'm turning it on, mate. I'm turning it on. Oh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you remember the- recording? Do you, do you remember the first time we ever met? No, I don't. You don't? I don't. And um, <laughs> I've listened, I listened to the Nathaniel episode. Oh, yeah. I listened to a bit of Richard's episode. Yeah. And most people have got the same sort of answer, haven't they? It's like, you're kind of, you're like God. You're like omnipresent. It's always there. Just can, like, what's he going to say next? I can, I can remember. Can you? That's yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. You were invited to be special guest at Hattie and mine Edinburgh show. Oh, so that was God. the first time. And I offered you a custard donut. <laughs> this is incredible memory. I feel really bad now. No, no. It's a great way to be introduced to yourself because I got to hear your comedy, which I very much enjoyed. Yeah. <laughs> what was I doing then? I thought I was doing comic book <laughs> jokes or something. I can't remember. It was, it, was, um, it was the year before you did the, uh, the show with Nathaniel, I think, possibly. Right. I don't even um, see all this as kind of <laughs> merged into one in my brain. I've almost, because I've not done a stand-up gig for so long, it just yeah. feels like a totally different life. And... Mm. I just, I remember the really, really bad gigs is what I remember now. That's all, t- <laughs> that's all I took away from it. You know, the booing, the throwing, the sort of silence when you leave the stage. But, um, you know, get to meet some great people like yourself, Darren. So that's that's uh, every cloud. I, I never um, really got any booing because booing would have to involve some kind of audience or an audience that was respons- responsive enough to actually pay attention to what was going on on the stage so when was the last time you did a gig then have you because oh, you've not been gigging for the time. no oh god it's it's got to be like three years now three. do you would you still do, i mean i always remember trent david trent saying yeah. like don't say that you're giving up just say like just don't say anything <laughs> then you can come back <laughs> this is what i'm working to like 2035 you know boyd's big reunion tour and then i do all the same shit it's all the same material but people have forgotten it slightly. So it's like from Ashray, uh, tornado yeah. bollocks, you know, and a Batman joke. Yeah. But I've only got 25 good minutes, but then Nathaniel comes out and fills the rest out. Yeah, yeah. like a, um, I always keep an eye on what's going on on the comedy scene, I suppose, but like, um, like all the people that I used to gig with, they all seem to be on uh, bigger and better things. And you can, it's nice to like see um, those people develop into um, the fully formed product that they are now. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's all it's the it's the good ones that have done well. That's what yeah, I yeah, think. yeah. Good. It's not like anybody who's like <laughs> was proper shit did a five minute open mic is like on the Apollo. It's like everybody, it, you know. It's, it's like it's, it's like people say like um, oh Joel Domic came out of nowhere. I was like, no, he worked bloody hard for ages doing three gigs a night and yeah it it didn't just um happen uh with a snap of a finger well it is testament to how much of a decent guy that joel <laughs> is that you can look at his instagram feed of him <laughs> with no clothes on next to his beautiful <laughs> wife in saint tropez and you just still think oh good on you mate you know carry on please for you all right <laughs> let's let's uh, start on to the meat and veg oh, yes. of the podcast. Let's start off with um, the film you've chosen to defend, and it's Quantum of Solace. It is. Um, I had a real problem with this whole format, Darren, I have to say, yeah. because um, I haven't really got any fully formed opinions on anything. Okay. Like, I'm very easily swayed by other people's opinions, and uh, usually when I come out of a film... I, you know, I kind of know if I like it or not, but if mm. someone goes, oh, you know, if you've got a really strong opinion, I just go, oh, maybe maybe I'm just a complete idiot and, you know, I've totally misread the whole situation. But this, the, and this was one of those occasions that ha- that happened. I came out absolutely buzzing out of this film. I was mm. like, it's just, it's relentless is what it is. It's mm. a chase film. From I thought it was so pure as a film, regardless of whether it's a Bond film or not. And then I came out going, this is great, this is great, this is great. And people are just looking at you like you've gone out, you know. And then, and then the reviews backed it up and I thought, oh, God, you know, I'm never going to proffer an opinion on a film ever again. Mm. But um, have you seen it? Do you like it? I, I didn't get a chance to watch it again before yeah. I, before I uh, I've not seen it. I've, I've not seen a lot of Bond films all the way through, to be honest. I've seen, like, a couple of the old ones, like Doctor No and... Uh, Maybe some other ones, but I can't. I can't. It, it doesn't really um, appeal to me. A lot of the stuff. Um, yeah, they're always on TV, aren't they? That's yeah. The thing. Yeah. So you feel I, like you've seen bits of them. Yeah, exactly. I've entirely. seen a bits of a lot of them, but uh, never um, all the way through. But the the thing that's always relevant this is that um, it came out of the writer's strike, so there's no script. Right. Um, but again, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because it's just so, it's just that relentless action. It's like one action scene after the next. Yeah. Um, and it's also for a Bond film, fairly, I, I use the term art house a lot. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's not a proper word, <laughs> but I'm going to keep using it. Um, it. You've got like the kind of start with a slow motion. Uh, sort of uh, horses running around in Spain, I think it is. You've got the big ch- uh, car chase. There's so many car chases in it. Um, you've got um, this whole section uh, with the opera Tosca at Bregenz in Austria, where that's going on uh, in the background, this really like high drama opera. And then Bond's sort of running around, taking people out. It's got Daniel Almerich in it, uh, who's doing this kind of snake-like slimy thing and it's like it's quite realistic because it's like all these bond films is like what do the what does the baddie want oh he wants to take over the world or doesn't blow it up or something this guy just wants to control water 
So I'm like, fantastic, because that's, that's the resource. You know, we're, we're all right here in the UK. We've got shitloads of water. You're fine if you live near Detroit. Anybody else, you're fucked for the future. You've got no water. So he's on, you know, he's, they're thinking he's onto it. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I mean, I, the other thing as well is I find it fascinating to look at these action films and see how they all take from each other because the fighting in this is very influenced by the Bourne films, really, like, brutal and, you know, hands, uh, close proximity. Um, and But you've also got... I don't think it came in here, but like the later ones in with the Craig, with Daniel Craig, it's more about the team getting together. It's like Ben Whishaw as Q and uh, you know Leah Sadir when everybody's working as a team, which they got from the Mission Impossible film. So to say that Tom Cruise started off wanting Mission Impossible to be like his Bond, it's like Bond's now sort of feeding from Mission Impossible. And everybody's kind of reaching towards Mission Impossible being the sort of archetype of the new, you know, what, what's, what's, what's the sort of kind of totem of all action cinema at the minute. Um, so I think people should give this film another chance and just watch it for what it is, which is a kind of 70s style revenge, meaty thriller with some arty overtones. And also was a kind of direct sequel to Casino Royale. If you watch it like that, it makes a lot more sense. It's not like a standalone film because it starts kind of two or three minutes after that film ended. So I think like as a sequel, it's up there with like Aliens or something. You know, Whoa. it's better than, oh yeah, mate, I've said it. Um, it's, uh, you know, better than Casino Royale. Best thing he's ever done. It's the most honest, that's it. That's the word I was looking for. I think it's the most honest Bond film we've had. You just slipped in the best thing he's ever done. Is that who's that referring to? Did I say that? You kind of, you kind of the best thing he's ever done. Yeah. Um, maybe I just meant Bond. All right, <laughs> Bond. Also, are you <laughs> are you a Bond fan in general? I would say I am. Yeah, yeah. But only in the same way that I will go and see any uh, blockbuster Bond. film. Yeah, and. Um, and I'm not snobbish about any sort of cinema. You know, I go into it, I'd rather not, mm. I go into it, any sort of film, and like just want to, want to feel something when I come out. I don't, I'm not yeah. necessarily bothered about as it made me think about this or that. Or, yeah. That's why I never really have a problem with the Nolan films. It's like, I always come out vibrating. I don't have to really follow what's going on. Uh, I mean, I'm not syntemic yet because I don't want to die. <laughs> um, if I go to the cinema, uh, but you know, do support your local cinema if you're interested in that. But yes, now at some point I will be going along with my mask and uh, and checking that out on the big screen. Yeah. Um, have you been to the cinema recently? And what no. have you been doing like during <laughs> lockdown? Oh, uh, I've you been know, on. I've been. I've been on lockdown for three years, to be honest, because I, <laughs> I, um, I, I got um, I got hospitalised with sepsis in, oh, man, in right. 2017, and like so, um, things a bit. I hear that. <laughs> yeah, um, like because I was housebound for like um, two years before this whole pandemic, and at the beginning mm. of the pandemic, everyone was like losing their mind, like. I'm losing my mind. I've been at home for two weeks now. What's going on? I was like, <laughs> you need to really prepare yourself for being on at home for any length of period because you're not going to last it, mate. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah. No, hey. Uh, um, any, uh, like the last film I saw at the cinema, I, it was um, the day I, I moved to Swindon. Um, I had to um, use up some time that I had when the moving vans were moving the stuff over. So I went to two different cinemas and I saw two films. I saw um, the Studio Ghibli film Red Turtle. Have you and seen that? Fantastic. I've not seen it, but it's fantastic. Wait, you've not seen it, but it's fantastic. I hear it's fantastic. I didn't like it, to be honest. I thought it was trying to be a Studio Ghibli film, and it just seemed ridiculous. <laughs> just um, the the one I went to see, and um, I don't know how many of those you've seen, but I've yeah. not seen that many Studio yeah. Ghibli either. And I went to see Up Poppy Hill. Okay, yeah. And it was just quite like dour about some school kids. It wasn't like I wasn't getting any kind of, mm. you know, fantastical creatures or anything like that. So I need to kind of readdress, um, you know, how many of those I've seen because I've, I've seen very, very few. I'm getting the kids into them. And sound the, messed up enough. <laughs> and on the other end of the spectrum, the second film I saw was uh, Wonder Woman. What did you think of that? I loved it. Nice. <laughs> I thought it was really entertaining. <laughs> I'm, I'm not into Marvel or superhero films at all, but every time I was like, what, they're like entertaining enough. And I, I think just because I'm not into superheroes uh, and stuff like that, I can look at them just for what they are and I don't have to get uh, particularly angry that it's not following some kind of rule book that right, ev yeah. everyone, everyone seems to want them to play by i'd rather they just did something totally off the wall with it now <laughs> like batman the new rpats batman yeah where he's kind of like emo batman yeah. trailer came out and i was like great but why not have it like batman in space or something <laughs> you know or um there's like a paul pope comic called batman year 100 yeah. where it's like batman in the future meets like Blade Runner and I'm like that's what you want to see or like ages ago it was going to be Darren Aronofsky directing it and he was going to have it like Batman as a kind of uh, mechanic and Alfred's a sort of pimp I think there's a kind of allusion to that as like with R. Pats in his garage yeah. uh, you know and this one but I'm like yeah just do something original man you know not just like uh, just for the books and it's the big books but yeah I don't know anyway All right. um, me high horse yeah, well, uh, let's side. What would be good <laughs> would be would be if they yeah. got hanging in it some kind of actor like Danny Dyer, maybe. Yes, this is great, and I'm so glad you've done that because I literally just had the same thought, and I was like, I thought you were going to make a reference to James Bond, no. and I'm glad because that is the honest thing, and that's what you should do. It's like Your Danny Dyer. <laughs> You'd like to defend Danny Dyer. <laughs> yeah, I just think he's good, man. And, and he's, you know, and he's had like, he's, he had a bad patch, hasn't he? And he said all that nasty, quite sexist stuff, which he then apologised for. What, what but, was that? Glass in the yeah, girlfriend? <laughs> yeah, which is like, you know, in loaded or something. And he apologised for that. But, I mean, as an actor, he just needs, he needs to do a John Travolta and 
get and like just lie low for a bit, get out of EastEnders, and then come back when he's like about 60 and like reinvent himself. Do a proper like Clint Eastwood or like uh, uh, Liam Neeson, you know. Don't even talk. You don't need to speak. Don't speak, mate. That's probably putting us all off, you know, the accent. But, um, you know, just like... Get yourself in with well, some like, decent directors. Uh, when Vinnie Jones started off, he he had like non-speaking parts. Exactly. <laughs> <He couldn't Yeah>. act. <laughs> exactly. He was an X-Men, wasn't he, or something like that. He was an but, X-Men, and, then, and he was in Swordfish, where he was a mute. That's it. <laughs> yeah, you're like this archetypal sort of, you know, uh, steel-eyed sort of character, and then you know people could work wonders with that. Um, it's the same with Craig Fairbrass who oh, yeah. I've got a massive soft spot for. And he's doing this. He's doing what Dyer should be doing. He's working with, I can never remember the director's name. He made like Hyena and um, Tony about the serial killer. But he's got a new film coming out called Muscle uh, about this guy who wants to like bulk himself up, goes down to the local gym, meets Craig Fairbrass. He's a fitness instructor, but he's also into like crime. And then it becomes this like study about toxic masculinity. And, like, and, it, and I was like, yeah, that's what Dyer should be doing. And he did, he did another film, a film called Villain uh, a while back it was like a just really, really good crime film. Nothing to do with a Richard Burton one. But um, yeah, you know, because people seeing him, uh, like he, you know, everybody brings up this Harvey Pinter thing, but he was in like Pinter stuff. And uh, he just needs to kind of get back to that, do a bit of stage work, lie low, and then, and then come back. I had the pleasure of meeting Danny Dyer once. It was wonderful. I used to work for uh a distributor which is now selling defunct called metrodome and they got him on contract for one film we did this film called age of heroes and a straight to dvd film uh with sean bean <gasps> i've seen that seen um, that it's like a war film, film. Oh. yeah man and like sean bean's face is like massive because he's on the drink well <laughs> 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 fair enough we've all got across the bear i love sean it's from Sheffield. Uh, but yeah, so he, he, they made this film basically running around like Epping Forest, pretending it was like <laughs> Black France. You know? And then uh, and then they got the time with him. He's like, we've got six weeks still with Danny. What are we going to do? So some bright spark said, oh, we'll just, uh, why don't we do like a training fitness video? Uh, and he, he can like, and then Danny was like, yeah, I'll do that. Um but I want to become like an MMA fighter. So that's what they did. So I went out to meet him in Turnpike Lane at a park in there. And it was just him running like uh, sort of circuits with this trainer shouting at him. And he was just like sweating. And I was like, the sad thing is that video has never seen the light of day. Um, so he, did, he put all this time in and I thought he was, I was like rubbing my ass together. I was like, that's Christmas gift sorted this year. Um, <laughs> You know, and it's oh, that would have sold loads. That would have been out selling like, what's her name? Uh, not, I want to say Delia, not Delia. Name, Mary Berry? Uh, no, the, the fitness person who used to present Street Mate. Street Mate? Oh, and what, and oh well, Davina McCool. Yes. <laughs> Davina, yeah. So that would have been outstrapping her at Woolies, wouldn't it? Get down Woolies and get yourself a Danny Dyer fitness DVD. Brilliant. They, that's what they should have done, you know, and that's probably why the company went under because <laughs> they didn't get that DVD out. Um, scrap but anyway, the, yeah, scrap the Sean Bean film, <laughs> yeah, give us what we want, mate. Uh, yeah, so I'm all for him, and uh, long may he reign and continue on. He's a national treasure, uh, and I'm glad that people have kind of come around to him and he's got a little slot in 
EastEnders, but he should just like quit that for a bit and then, you know, mm. come back. Like go off into the rainforest or something and then find yourself <laughs> and then come back like really spiritual. It will inevitably happen um, in his later years, I'm sure. Yeah. I think it's, just, it's, on, it's on the cards. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, for all our sakes. And um, he's like royalty now, isn't he, as well? Oh, that's stupid, though. Because <laughs> <laughs> we all are, aren't we? Yeah. Right. <laughs> if you go back far enough, everyone's related to the mm. royalty. Um, um, did you watch that program? I did watch it, yeah. I did there was some really. No one really talks about it, but there's a really, like, terrible part where he goes to one of his relatives' house and he tells her that, like, one of his um, relatives had a stillborn or something and left it um, um, outside a house or something. And I'm like, what? <laughs> How surreal is this? Danny Dyer turns up to your house, tells you you're related to him, and that your mum had a stillborn. <laughs> I mean, I like the guy, but he shouldn't be breaking that sort of noise, should he? <laughs> hey, TV, TV. Um, let's Great go TV. on to your, your, your next um, uh, choice, which the professional publicist. Do <sighs> you need to defend yeah. them? Well, because for about the last 10 years, I have been a publicist. Right. Um, and a film publicist. Uh, usually for independent cinema, um, anything kind of depressing from Eastern Europe, that's me. Uh, you know, black and white, about abortion with subtitles, that's my niche. Um, and... Uh, and I, I, I just think I, I, all the media coverage I see of publicists over about the last 50 years has been uh, negative. They're either portrayed as sort of people who flap around like headless chickens or they're evil in a kind of Max Clifford sort of way. And I don't know where this kind of, where it's come from. Yeah. This. I think maybe like it's looking back at like, sweet smell of success because he's like a president and that, isn't he? Yeah. Something. But my... My experience of publicists I meet are they're all mostly nerds who really like what they're pushing um, to people. And I mean, I, I guess to just give what a publicist does a bit of context, it is there could be a film publicist or a music publicist or whatever, whatever the, the product is. And it's just your job to make sure that product is seen favorably, predominantly in press, you know. Uh, magazines and on tv and that sort of thing and then you know get people to you know go go and see it in the cinema and i kind of delude i've been in it for 10 years and i kind of delude myself every day by saying well you know i'm probably i'm really making a difference here because if i wasn't getting this small uh croatian film a reviewing i don't know some small site or the guardian or something then no one go and see it yeah. you know people could go and see that film and like be inspired to make their own film and you know it's like nurturing uh you know new filmmakers uh, careers in a way and I, I, that's how I kind of enjoy what I kind of get out of it on a day-to-day -day basis but yeah I, publicists I meet are they love what they do and they love films or they love music or um, you know it's, it's, it's about passion I don't think anyone like wakes up one day or I don't know or at the age of 10 says I want to be a publicist they don't yeah. but um, 
I, I just want to I just want to point out there that these people they aren't like dead eyed shark folk. They there's real kind of passion and commitment behind what they do, and I think you know and, and integrity there as well. It's just what kind of what people see, as I say, the kind of face of publicists is when they see publicists on a red carpet taking a taking an actor down the red carpet and they're usually people are flapping around going no you've got five minutes left or you know shouting at someone or um i think there's a tv show called flack a while back mm. uh about that well or like w1a there's a publicist in that or maybe it's like someone like malcolm tucker uh that's what people see but I, you know i'm not saying there's a show to be made about nice publicists because that would be fucking boring but uh you know it's this i think it's a no in a way it's a noble profession and it's maybe it's got lumped in with sort of tabloid journalism in a way and people okay. think how you know how after the kind of phone hacking crisis people equate the two and i don't know in some kind of way but um i'm sure i've seen it on many a like least sort of worst uh professions ever by the general public are like estate agents lawyer and then publicists and i was like wow really but um i don't know it's not a mystic art it's not like uh there's no what there's no like there is a craft there but there's no like i don't know i guess people just think it's we're, we're kind of devious sort of people and we're sort of not really we're just trying to do the best for what what in my case what the film is which is like get good reviews for it and get people to see it in the best light and come up with sort of big uh sort of stunt ideas or uh you know interesting things that can get people excited about the film so um yeah anyway that i, I have said my piece anyway um but i'm not very uh averse to the um profession but would i be would i be um correct in thinking that what about the um the um uh films that have got big budgets like the big blockbusters and they've they've got a big budget for uh uh uh, a publicist to get a lot of exposure Mm. and would they like monopolize the um public uh, publications um that would possibly promote those smaller independent films is there well, they, they they would they they would and they do and that's what if there's one kind of silver lining of this whole pandemic it's that people have not been able to get to the cinema so they're more uh, happy to watch uh, films online yeah um so now you'll get we i'm seeing like newspapers review films that would never have got reviewed before tiny um world world cinema films that would have would have just been released on like six screens uh which never would have got a review and now and now you're seeing those films um you know get four and five stars in like independence or times or wherever so yeah so i feel like this whole thing's leveled the playing fields a bit um i realized i've just used an almost office style expression there i won't say kick the tires <laughs> or move the needle and all that shit anyway i try and i try and avoid saying reaching out i will reach out or what's the circle back that's my favorite email i would just circle we're just circling back on that one um <laughs> but uh yeah no you you're 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 right and um uh 
you know we try and work twice as hard for those smaller films to make any any kind of noise at all because if you're from a news paper point of view um what you're going to do you're going to run something on tom cruise's new film which everybody's interested in knows about or you're going to run something on you know a small british independent film which you know nobody's really heard about you know from their point of view they've got to think about selling newspapers so i can kind of see it from because i studied i studied journalism so i don't i can kind of get it from their point of view and people in i come across to a publicist they don't they almost there's a bit of like oh we see there are different breed journalists but you know they've just got a job to do and you know so have we in a way so you, you've got to work you've got to be able to work with journalists yeah you know every day um yeah. so yeah i think don't demonize the 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 film flack just give them uh, give them the time of day please oh, okay um i will do it got a bit like it got a bit hollywood reporter there didn't it a bit yeah. like uh this is my screen daily to you know industry talk come on guys rally around the industry now now more than ever yeah <laughs> okay um <laughs> Let's go on to the next choice. You'd like to defend Mansfield, Nottinghamshire. Mansfield, Nottinghamshire. Yeah. Um, do you uh, do you know anything about you know Mansfield, Nottinghamshire? Have you got any? No. Not one way or the other. Have you ever been? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, it regularly appears on the worst places to live in the UK yeah. uh, lists. Um, I can identify uh, that. <laughs> yes, well, what you were referring to there? Croydon. Croydon. That's where yeah, I live. That's in there, isn't it? It's, it's usually Hull, Croydon. Hull, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's on the way up, though, isn't it? Croydon now. You've got like coffee shops and that shit, haven't you? I've moved out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were there when it was. You were the original hipster, mate. You were there yeah. when it. You had a moustache before all these other people had one. The thing is, if you go to Croydon, you'll just say, well, this is just like every other town in the UK. Mm. It's got good bits, it's got bad bits. It's just, everyone... Yeah. Just, um... (sighs) I think the thing with... I was trying to look back at when it all went wrong for Mansfield. Yeah. And I think there was a it's 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 spoken about in lady chatterley's lover mm-hmm. and he lawrence describes it as like an utterly disheveled colliery town and you know it's not there anymore it's on the way up um i got very good memories of mansfield um very close to sherwood forest i mean i'm from a place called chesterfield mm-hmm. uh, which is quite close to sheffield famous for its crooked church spire uh, which I used to bang on about a lot in my stand-up act. Uh, but Mansfield just down the road, and I've got family who live there. And yeah, it's close to Sherwood Forest. It's got a great accent. Uh, it's sort of like everybody speaks like they're in a Shane Meadows film. Um, they have a Mushy Peas van, or used wow. to. Just exclusively selling Mushy Peas. But you could occasionally have some cockles on the top if you <gasps> wanted. Ooh. So that's mind-blowing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I just think it just keeps appearing on these lists. And um, there's also a myth going around that it's got the most number of CCTV cameras in Europe. Um, 
<laughs> which I've got a number 160, <laughs> but I'm sure, like, if you live in, like, I'm sure there's more in Paris, surely. Yeah. Uh, presumably for its size. Um, home to Richard Bacon. He came from there. Right. Alvin Stardust. Right. Um, Rebecca Adlington. That's about it. Um, but it's just, I just keep seeing it pop up on the news or like Channel 4 News send a reporter up there to try and get like a Vox Pop. And it's like, mate, just don't ask the general public. Like, I don't know. I don't know anything about politics either. It's like, if you ask me, I've got no idea. Especially if I've you know, got a camera shoved in my face. Like, what do you think about Keir Starmer? I don't know. He's got good air. I, that's what most people think. It's like, yeah. don't demonise Mansfield, not Angoshire, by repeatedly. I, I think it's because it used to be like a Labour stronghold and then they've now got a Tory in there and most of them voted Brexit. But they voted Brexit because probably, you know, the... Um, uh, Thatcher decimated the, the, the mining industry there in the 80s, very high unemployment. Uh, you know, so there's always, they can't just say, oh, Mansfield, you know, they're all sort of xenophobes. It's like, it's the reason why people do this. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, just give the people of Mansfield a bit of a chance and flip it round, start putting it on the best places to live, and then it'll become like Croydon. Everybody want to live there, wouldn't they? You know, <laughs> get, a, get a coffee shop in. Uh, get a, like a vinyl record shop, a um, couple of other bits, and then it's like the go-to destination, isn't it? And this stuff doesn't happen overnight, you know. And then Richard Bacon will be back. Bacon <laughs> will be back singing Alvin Stardust hits. Um, I just don't. I just it's like it just see, it just seems very snobbish yeah. of the media in particular to keep demonising these sort of East Midlands towns, uh, you know. For, for doing one thing or another and then like uh illustrating that with a vox pop of you know someone who's just going about the day and is just thinking about oh i'm gonna keep feed my kids this evening they're not thinking about you know the intricacies of what's going on in westminster anyway i'm trying to keep this all beat i'm yeah, trying to keep it all beat it's, now it's, but it's, it's, um, it's it's kind of uh weird that this country does those lists like worst places to live in the uk mm. and we should be more proud of our um our uh in interest uh in i can't pronounce it our intricacies <laughs> our flaws and because I'm, I'm, I'm sure i'm sure the word, i'm sure there's no book in france saying the worst towns in france um, and then no, they love it because they, 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 don't, they, they, they don't sort of di- they, they kind of cherish the, they embrace the their flaws, yeah, exactly. They love it, like, no <laughs> like you, you don't like it, don't come here. That's what they're probably saying, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but, just, um, yeah, depressing. Uh, we, we should be more, um, open to uh, trying to embrace our uh our flaws in our towns and promote them more yeah or do you know our differences you know that should be the forefront of what's going on in uk society in a minute i'm gonna have to open a window in here down because i'm so hot uh let me see if i can do that actually no i'm not the original. and the wasps left i don't know where it's got out anyway um they do have a pretty lax approach to BBFC certification, though, because I managed to get in to see American Psycho when I was about 13. But <laughs> okay. That, in a way, 
developed my love of film a bit more, didn't it? So yeah. again, plus point for Mansfield Nottinghamshire. Definitely. All for it. All for it. Um, I mean, do people, I've only listened to Nathaniels, but do people actually, you know, is there, do they get, do they reach a point in their arguments? <laughs> or is it just like waffle? No, no, no it's waffle. <laughs> I feel like it's a stream of consciousness. It's, I just, I think it's just a place for people to get things off their chest Good. and say, right, Good. I want to say this and now I'm, I'm at peace with it and I can move on. It's a, <laughs> it's a safe like, space. It's, yeah. And maybe someone from Mansfield will listen to this and they're like, I'm glad that someone's trying to speak up for us because we're not Yeah. We're not that bad. Uh, I'm just trying to think of other like Mansfield facts. There used to be a band called Amusement Parks on Fire, and I think they're still good. Oh, I remember them. Remember them, yeah. And um my mate used to know them and said that uh and they recorded their first album in Mansfield, based in a yeah. basement in Mansfield, uh, and like cashed a check from V2 Records for 50 grand. Uh, basically spent all that on getting the guitar sounding really good, but then forgot to get the drum sounding good. So if you listen back to that earlier album, it's like, it just sounds like someone's eating some cardboard boxes, which again, I really like. I like the fact <laughs> it's like messed around so much like Kevin Shields or something. Uh, Overdubbing and layering these guitars so much in a in a basement in Mansfield, yeah. <laughs> he's got to get in some uh, some computerized drums. That's the, that's the thing. I, things I like about uh, those small towns is people know the the bands because um, the, uh, there's like only a few bands, and so you know them, <laughs> and you've got all these stories about them. They. Um, Whereas, and you don't really get that in uh, London a lot. No, it's like if you're a bit, if you're a big, if you're a band that comes out of there, it's like the entire town gets behind you. Yeah. Um, let's uh, move on to the next one. Are you going to um, do one of these? I suppose you do it every time you speak to someone, don't you? Like your selection. No. Um, oh, right. On. Like a, spe- a one-off special why I defend stuff. Yeah, I talked to uh, that. Uh, I've got too many things to defend that they think I've got I I just get into a a whole ramble um the one I will say this though I at the end of each podcast I ask people to um ask me something to defend that's undefendable which I'll get onto later in your oh yes right right? but I'm really surprised that no one has asked me to defend littering, which I'm waiting for. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will, I will full struggle for that. Um, that's that's a good one. Because I, I remember in your guidelines, it was like you can't defend serial killers. Yeah, yeah. You know, or I, what about dog fouling? Where does that lie? That's pretty bad, isn't it? Clean that. Uh, what? Not clearing up the dog fowl. Yeah, yeah. Clean, clean that. I, I clean that shit you, up. You could defend that argument that it will just go away eventually, won't it? <laughs> yeah, biodegrade. Yeah, and um, what if you got no poo bags? What are you supposed to do? Pick it up with your hands. Pick it up with your hands, mate. <laughs> Put it in your pocket. <laughs> dog off home. Yeah, um. All right. Let's go into your next um topic, which was um. You want to defend a person in your past that you have wronged, and that person was the costume assistant 
on a secondary school musical you were in. What's the story? <laughs> so, <laughs> take you back now to, I don't even know when it was, like, I don't know what year. I would probably just, sixth form, maybe, so what, 1999 or something like that. And, uh, you know, I'd risen the ranks, mate, of the drama department. I'd done my time in, uh, you know, bit players in Greece and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And this was like shine time for, for Chrissy. Yeah. Uh, and this year's production was one called Dracula Spectacular. Whoa. Right. Just to put that in a bit of context, it's a bit like a kid-friendly cut price version of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay, right. So you got that. Um, now, I thought that this was written by Peter Skelton who, I don't know what else he does, but just the name just sends shivers down my spine. It's not him, it's by someone else. But the idea is it's like some kids end up in like Dracula's lair and like, and then there's some songs and dancing and that sort of thing. Anyway, come second art, and I'm playing the main dude. I'm playing Dracula, right? Whoa. So I'm well happy about that. Yeah. Um, about halfway, after the, after the middle, yeah, after the, uh, uh, what's the word I'm searching for here? The uh, intermission, um, I lose the cape and the black suit and tie and that drops the floor and i'm wearing what can only be described as like a leotard jumpsuit right like a kind of sprangly silver one and all during rehearsals and up to we're only doing it like three nights it's like school play um the costume designer called joanne had been saying oh chris maybe you want to wear like some pants or some trousers over that something like that and I was like, oh, you know, I thought I was George Clooney or something. So I was like, don't tell me how to act, John. Um, <laughs> you don't spoil the performance. Uh, I need, I need, you know, I need to be free. Um, so I uh, went out there three nights in a row. And you know what it's like, You've, you're a performer, Darren, we both are. Um, you tend to get nerves sometimes, don't you? Yeah. And uh, that could have one or two... Um, sort of results on your uh, genitalia, for want of a better word. It could either go up or it could go down. On three separate occasions, it went right up, right? Right. Um, Now, um, so I'm coming out in kind of full leotard with a massive stonker on Mm -hmm. uh, each night after the the interval. And, you know, it's a school play. The entirety of the the school are in there, been forced to go watch it. Um, My parents (laughs) are there. Uh, grandparents and I have quite a um, visceral death scene in that which involves me rolling around on the audience so um, so yeah that's what happened three nights in a row I basically forced my stonker into into members of my family Um, so I want to apologize to Joanne for not listening to her and um, and uh, you know and uh, should have given her the uh, benefit of the doubt and um, she also she was a bell she was a campanologist she was a bell ringer now I'm sure I probably turned my nose up for that at the time but now I think that's probably the coolest thing ever to be a bell ringer love to go bell ringing it's incredible but we all grow up down don't we we all grow up we all learn and if I was to take starring role in Dracula Spectacular again I would definitely wear um, maybe a box or (laughs) sort of pant uh, to avoid that happening again. I think this is a humbling story about how we should all respect each other in oh, our, right. um and she was the costume assistant, so she was the professional. She knew what she was talking about. She obviously knew you had a stonker down that trousers and she's like, 
you're not going to be able to control this, Chris. Um, but you were just too drunk on your own uh, excitement. Fire spunk, yeah. Drunk on your own spunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Theatrical spunk. Um, I mean, I, I did wonder at one point whether people thought that was just the regular size of my penis. I mean, that would have been nice. <laughs> I don't think. I don't think, uh, think that quickly got discarded as a theory. I think I also, at the end of that, like, I was so hyped by the end of it that one of the teachers came down yeah. who'd, like, worked as a kind of stagehand and, um, and tried to give me a kiss on the cheek and I went to properly get off with it because I was, like... I was like mindless on sort of uh, adrenaline. Yeah. You know, when you just don't know what you're doing, like, yeah. thank God this is over. This is like, <laughs> this gig's finished. And, like, and then you present it with the face of a beautiful woman. And then, you know, I, I don't know. That's, that's, that's ventured into me too territory. Isn't it? So, so, I apologise. So did you get a boner on the first night? Every night. So why didn't you try and rectify it the second night? Because I don't think it... <laughs> Because I don't think it got brought up, and I think it, can't, by it, that can't, point, it can't. It can't happen the second night. It can't happen the second. <laughs> I've got that out of the way. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it can't possibly do it twice in a row. Sure, this is inhuman. Uh, I, I think people just didn't want to rock the boat, or were like trying to be too highbrow about it, or like, how do you speak to like sixty-year-old boy and say, <laughs> "Cock on, mate"? Who wants to have that conversation? Nobody. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> oh god <laughs> uh, well do you reckon the, the, there's people in your um, secondary uh, school that that's their like dinner party story they're like oh once when I was in <laughs> secondary school there was this play Dracula Spectacular and the guy playing Dracula every night he got a boner I, yeah, I, maybe, yeah, maybe. Because I wasn't, I think that was like, maybe that was year 11 I did that. And then I was definitely around for two years of sixth form. So then it became a thing. But I was obviously like totally oblivious to it. Like every time I was, you know, I was trying to be cool in sixth form and being like bands and that sort of thing. So right. every time people came to see that, it was like, here he is, old stunker boy. Stunker uh, boy. Yeah. I remember that. So one of the next, boy, has got stunker on. But I don't know. Maybe people have thought I was just so devoted to my art that it didn't matter. That I was like fucking women to film or something. Oh, really? Yeah. God. <laughs> God. I'll oh, be impressed. Good. I'll, I'll be impressed it was uh, William Defoe sized. <laughs> I don't, oh, it. yeah, yeah. Antichrist vibes. <laughs> right, we need to move on. Right, oh, this, this is the last, last thing. It's, it's my choice now that one you told me to defend which you feel yes. is indefensible, and that is the concept of nostalgia. Yeah, do it, mate. I think it's, I think it's fine in small doses, but now we're all addicted to this, whatever this nostalgia is. It's like, you know how people say, uh, oh, this generation needs a war. It's like, it's almost, it's almost like this generation needs some kind of something to grasp onto in terms of cultural terms. So I suppose, I suppose definitely, I'll backtrack on that. There's definitely been a cultural movement, certainly this year, um, you know, in various quarters. So it's happening. But I, I just think in terms of like, 
this fetishization of like the 80s um and it's fine with like your whatever it's called your the guest or you know that came out or um uh, there's a film called beyond the black rainbow and it's like fine just do it like once or twice but yeah. don't keep, it's like the Batman thing. It's like, don't keep doing the same thing over and over again. And it's like everybody going bar me about Stranger Things. It's like, I mean, Christ, do we not like over it? Um, you know, fine. But I'd, I used to have a mate who, who'd actually, he'd written on his CV uh, under like hobbies. He'd written reminiscing with friends. And he used to send <laughs> it out. He used to send it out to potential employers. And I think that's like, that's the crux of what this is. It's just fucking people. Hello? No, stop looking back. Yeah. So go, do it. People romanticise things. Like if you were to talk to yourself in uh, like 1999, you'd be, <laughs> you'd be like some miserable, you're like, you're like, what's your life like, Chris? And you're like, oh, it's fucking shit, mate. But, um, yeah. If, if you well, talk, I get a stonker on every now. And then. <laughs> but like, but um, if you were to talk to yourself now, you're like, oh, don't you wish it was more like 1999? And oh god, my yeah, my or it's kind of like um, yeah, that you're right. It's just like rose tinted specs. It's like you people talking about the 80s, but it was like life was terrible in the 80s. <laughs> Fucking minor strike, like rubbish everywhere you know thatcher there was a cold war going on nuclear nuclear crisis what I don't, some good music but what i don't that's like, it. what i don't like about as you said stranger things and stuff like that when they look they look back on the 80s and everyone's wearing like 80s stuff and listening to 80s music that's not what time periods are like people oh, yeah. don't that there might be trends and stuff but most people in the 80s are wearing like 70s stuff and all and bad bad stuff all the people in them like um in the tv and stuff that are pushing fads and trends that's what they're wearing the people on yeah. the streets they're just wearing normal stuff and listening yeah. to the same music they listened to in the 70s well that, and, i mean that's why i thought that <laughs> this is england was actually quite good because he's yeah. beginning of that he's still wearing like flares yeah and they're going what are you doing mate so there's a there's a nice kind of concession to that but yeah you're right it's like people they were not driving deloreans yeah they were driving a fucking volvo weren't they or something, or something they could afford yeah <laughs> uh, you're, you're on my side you're not supposed to be on no, my no, side right. I'm, I'm gonna defend it now <laughs> i i uh, I do like, I'm, I'm very um, guilty of um, nostalgia because if you've only got to look at my, uh, <laughs> my collection of toys that I've got and stuff like, I've got a lot of um, Jurassic Park memorabilia and um, Sega <laughs> Mega Drive stuff and um, stuff. So I do enjoy kind of, uh, reverting myself back to my childhood and um, watching uh, what I would be watching during that time. I suppose it's very comforting in that sense. Yeah, um, I mean, but that's that's like that stuff from the time, isn't it? Yeah, it's like watching an old film or a TV show. It's not like making a direct copy of it and try and sell it on. Anyway, sorry, I'm interrupting. Uh, 
Oh, right, no. Um, are you referring to also just like nostalgic comedy as well? Um, like what, uh, Mrs. Brown Boys and that sort of thing? More like, more like Peter Kay. Kind of um, I like, don't really have a problem with Peter Kay because I don't, it doesn't, it's still that he's still talking about. I mean, it's framed in a sort of like uh, clubby, uh, you know, you could have seen that style of comedy any time in the last 50 years. But he's used to talking about stuff that's relevant to, you know, me or you or, you know, families. It's like Seinfeld's still doing the same act, but he's just doing new material. So mm. I, I don't really have a problem. No, I don't have a problem with Peter Kay. Mm. I've just seen your um, National Trust tattoo as well. Um, oh, yeah. You having that removed given the current uh, climate? And their, what? uh... what's happened? <laughs> what is happening? Well, you know they've had to backtrack on all the like the houses being involved in the slave trade. Oh, God. <laughs> 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 sorry, mate. They're actually doing really well on, on, on social media about that. and just say, look, this is, this is what, <laughs> you know, we we can't tear these houses down. But, you know, point stuff in more context. So maybe you with that tattoo, just put another little bit of context underneath it. <laughs> uh, uh, um, oh God. Uh, I don't think you need to. I don't. Need, I don't think you need to continue. That, that's a indefensible nostalgia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, all I need is fucking Daz Automatic to come out with that they've been using child slave labour and. Uh, well, um, <laughs> Danny Baker's been. <laughs> oh yeah. You've literally got an arm, an arm full of racism there. Danny Baker. Oh, <laughs> oh Christ. Oh, Christ almighty. Uh, I'd like to point out I got that too before he uh, insulted the royal family. <laughs> but that doesn't mean I don't agree with him. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, Let's take it a turn for the worst. Um... What I was trying to defend um, is, um, I don't. I think I think I've said all I can really on this subject. I think it has its, as you said, it has its place. But people need to just like um, not d dwell on it so much and try and um, to. Uh, I think it's as you said, people um, making new content based on. Um, old stuff they should really concentrate on just um doing something fresh and yeah being um uh less um subject to falling into the easy option of just like trying to make something out of a um template that's been uh already done yeah, so I suppose it's also cross like fan service. I'm, yeah. I'm just not. I'm not bothered about that at all. Yeah. You know, just like heavily dosing stuff with loads of different references and like. Yeah, we get it. We get it. So you're not a fan of uh, Kevin Smith, then, are you? <laughs> uh, do you know what? I like Kevin Smith, and I met Kevin Smith, and I did some publicity for uh, Jay and Bob reboot. And, really? Um, I like the guy, Massive Stoner. 
Uh, <laughs> a massive st- I mean, um, that's not, you're not getting anything exclusive there, Darren. It's like, <laughs> he is a, he, it's out there that he's a massive stoner. Yeah. Um, no, I like to, I like his stuff. And I think that you've, you actually, you've got me there. You've got me. <laughs> yeah. You've got me. I'm, th- I'm happy to, to try it back. <laughs> yeah. I think that probably comes from, I feel like his stuff comes from a good place though, like a good place, whereas I just equate the big budget Marvel stuff with a bit, you know, money making exercise, I guess. Okay. I think I've earned enough points there to. Well done. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for this, Chris. You've, uh, I think you hope you enjoyed uh, defending all your things. I've really enjoyed this, and um, next same time next week, then. Eh? Yeah, okay. I'm definitely going to try and um, go to Mansfield sometime in my life. Oh, you should. Someone was, um, God, I can't remember the name of the Twitter account. It's like Cornucopia or something. But I saw Mark Dean Quinn retweeting it, yeah. and they'd been to Tip Shelf recently. Yeah. And Tip Shelf's quite close to Mansfield, and oh. I think Tip Shelf's like home to. This is a story going nowhere. Check it out. Just go to Mansfield. <laughs> Have some mushy peas and just punch oh, the air. Oh, if, if I can find that mushy pea and cockle stand, I'll definitely try and find that. Take a photo. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, <laughs> I'm signing out. See you, bye. bye. Thanks, mate. Bye. Hey, let's hear it. Defenders of the universe. It's Darren Maskell and a guest. Defenders of the universe. Who knows what they're going to defend next? That's 12 seconds.